Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined here with uh, Seth Weintraub in the same room. How's it going, Seth? It's nice to be in the same room with you. Uh, usually we're uh, Israel and New York, so this is kind of uh, a treat for everyone. Yeah, we've come from thousands of miles to a few inches. Yep. So uh, we're, we're here together today because we are in Munich, Germany at the IAA Mobility Show, where um, we're checking out all sorts of interesting things, but that's going to probably be a post for the next podcast. Uh, this time, we've got a bunch of new stories to cover, everything from new e-bike launches from uh, Gazelle and Specialized. We've got a super fast electric unicycle. We're going to talk about uh, a profile on Super 73 and why they seem to get in hot water often. Uh, and a few other interesting stories. But where are we going to start this week, Seth? All right. Why more college campuses are starting to ban electric bikes? Yeah, so this one, uh, you, you guys probably already know we're pretty pro-e-bike here. So uh, this is a bit of a, a sad phenomenon we're seeing. But there are a couple of um, realistic reasons why colleges are starting to sort of raise eyebrows at e-bikes. And some are even banning them on campus. And it really comes down to two things. One is the safety of riders, where it's usually a few uh, bad apples that are riding recklessly on campus around pedestrians and causing injuries. And the second is something we've talked about a lot already, and that comes down to fire safety, where, again, it's kind of a, a few bad apples ruin it for everyone situation, where you have a very small number of e-bike fires caused by super cheap, low-quality batteries, but even a few is obviously too many when you're talking about something as dangerous as a fire. So in, in the first case, we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, college campuses that are saying, like, don't even bring uh, bikes on campus because they can't be ridden safely with pedestrians. If you've ever been on a, a college campus, uh, especially in the U.S., where we often have very defined college campuses where, you know, there's not a lot of cars driving around. It's mostly footpaths. Well, when you mix uh, bicycles, especially fast-moving e-bikes with pedestrians on narrow sidewalks, it can be a, a recipe for problems. And so while I, I certainly understand the, the danger there, I'm not sure that outright bans are the right uh, solution. I personally am in favor of just like heavy punishments for anyone who breaks the law, whether you're talking about, you know, road rules, you know, uh, driving recklessly on the road on e-bike or on college campuses. Um, when it comes to... Fire safety, again, you know, this is a small number, but it is still super important, in my opinion. And so we've already seen some cities like New York City that have um, passed laws that say only UL listed bikes can be sold uh, in New York City. So perhaps uh, there are solutions kind of like that where uh, universities can say you can bring your e-bike or e-scooter on campus, but you have to get like, you know, a sticker, kind of like a parking permit that we've inspected the bike and it's got the UL listing on it, that sort of thing. Or there are other um, safety uh, organizations, not just UL, that's sort of the main one. But in my opinion, there are sort of uh, compromises that can be found in the middle here. And I'm not sure that I'm in favor of what we've seen from some universities. Uh, like I think Yale was the most recent that just said, don't bring your bikes to campus. Um, as And there are some others that are saying, you know, like, don't, don't park them in your uh, dorm rooms, don't park them in your courtyards, they have to be like, you know, locked out on the street. Uh, but even then, I mean, you're talking about thousands of dollars in e-bikes. A lot of students don't want to leave those things locked on the street. Um, I don't know. What do you think about this stuff? Yeah, I mean, having had a bike during uh, my all my college years, I can't imagine. I mean, obviously, uh, it sounds like uh, the colleges are still allowing bikes. Um, I can't imagine not having some wheels. Uh, so it's 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 frustrating because you know that a few, as you said, a few bad apples are ruining it. 
Um, they have to. So what what can a college do? I think if you enforce a speed limit, I think if you build like bikeways and, you know, clearly mark where bikes should be going and perhaps can go full speed. Um, as far as the battery concern, um, you know, maybe make a UL listing, a, uh, you know, you have to have that, or, you know, if you're on campus housing and you're in a dorm, maybe you have to have a certain bike, or maybe you don't take the bikes up, you know, you, you put out charging so bikes can charge outside. I feel like there's a lot of ways to kind of remediate the issue without having to resort to outright bans. And I think, I mean, I hope that um, these are, you know, a temporary thing until these, these universities can kind of figure it out. I know, you know, a lot of high school kids have e-bikes. They're going to be upset when they go to college and they can't ride around their favorite e-bike um, and get from one place to another um, especially in like hilly areas or places that um, don't have like on-campus housing. So, um, and then, you know, there's always the thing where if you live off campus and you want to ride your bike to campus, I guess you could just ride it to the edge of campus and then walk. So a lot of little things here, nuance, uh, don't like to hear about any e-bike bans ever. So uh, hopefully these things work themselves out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got started in e-bikes in college for that that reason. So, you know, I, I want to see them involved and included. Yeah. Uh, speaking of e-bikes in college, uh, we have Super 73, which uh, have been kind of hitting campuses, both high school and college. Uh, they're quite uh, popular. Um, but the uh, title of this one is Super 73, Meet the E-Bike That Squares Love to Hate. Yeah, so Super 73 is a very interesting e-bike company. Um, if you don't know of them, you've probably seen their e-bikes and perhaps not even realized it. They're sort of motorcycle-looking e-bikes. Uh, technically speaking, they're the same as most e-bikes. You know, they ship as Class 2 bikes. You can uh, unlock them to be Class 3. They go between 20 to 28 miles an hour. The major difference is they have big wheels and they're shaped like a motorcycle with a sort of mini-bike-style frame. Uh, but the interesting thing about Super 73 is they're often singled out. We've seen several New York Times articles in the past month or so that have uh, talked about sort of this uh, danger of e-bikes. Often, in my opinion, they kind of paint it like this boogeyman of the e-bike. And they often turn to Super 73 and hold them up as the example of like a problem e-bike. And so that made me curious to talk to the company and, and you know, discuss with them, like, why are you guys seen as the bad boys of the e-bike world? So I had the chance to sit down with uh, LeGrand Cruz, the CEO of Super 73, for about an hour, and we talked about all these issues. And it was really interesting uh, because from Super 73's side, one of the reasons they, they say that they're probably singled out here is, for one, that they're easily recognizable. You know, most e-bikes from a distance, you can't really tell whose it is, what <coughs> brand is it, you know, is it a a rad power bike is it you know an aventon whatever but a super 73 you can tell from like a half mile away that that's a super 73 bike so uh you know lots of times just anyone on an e-bike if it's um you know unrecognizable they don't get the the credit or the blame super 73 does the other thing is that there are a lot of super 73 clones out there so you see a lot of people yeah. riding around on on bikes that aren't even super 73s but super 73 gets blamed when those uh riders aren't riding uh according to uh, local road laws now and, and we even call super like even like 20 inch fat tire bikes we often refer to as super 73 type bikes exactly it's, it's almost like uh kleenex is a type of tissue 
Exactly. Yeah. They become like the brand name for motorcycle style bikes. Um, and that being said, when you talk about, you know, sort of hazardous riding or some, some people that ride more like hooligans on the road, because Super 73 does skew towards a younger ridership, they certainly have seen that phenomenon. And uh, that's one of the things I talked about with uh, the CEO. And what he described is that, you know, their motto is that they fuse motorcycle heritage with youth culture. And so they're bringing in the motorcycle vibes, that kind of um, background, that kind of styling, and they're focusing on a younger ridership. Uh, what he said is that based on their polling, their average rider is in their 30s. Um, yeah. And so he said that people probably think that the average rider is like 15, but that's that's not the case. I was going to say that seemed very old for Super 73, but, you know, I, I would love to be on one. So that's the thing. Yeah. I've seen you having fun on them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, the, the riders, it's definitely younger. If you look at other brands, you know, there are a lot of older riders and so they skew higher. And so you are going to see some of that, you know, younger riders perhaps taking more risks. The other thing is with Super 73, they have what I would say the most dedicated community ridership compared to other brands. You know, like I've seen a lot of event and group rides. I've seen other uh, brands have group rides. But when it comes to Super 73, for one, they tend to ride in mass, kind of like, you know, a motorcycle club that they get together and they enjoy riding together. And also these bikes are heavily customized. If you've ever seen a group of 70, uh, Super 73s, they have all sorts of personal personalization, customizations, vinyl wraps. Uh, a lot of uh, independent third-party companies have sprung up just for the purpose of creating customizable uh, personalizations, customizations for Super 73 bikes, which actually the CEO said a lot of these companies uh, were created by riders in the community, which they're pretty proud of that, you know, whole ecosystems have sort of sprung up from this. So they're very visible, they're very recognizable, but because they do skew younger, they have, um, you know, more riders that you could see out there being a little more uh, fast and loose with the rules. For Super 73's part, and this is something that I, I pushed the CEO on, uh, was I wanted to know what are they doing about that? You know, if they know they have younger riders, if they know that there's sort of um, a uh, predisposition towards some of this more fun, reckless riding, how are they being proactive about it? What he explained is that they've developed uh, several different safety programs that they've started locally in Southern California, and they're running pilots to try to expand these nationally. Uh, one of them is that they're working with local schools. Uh, Seth, like you said, uh, a lot of Super 73 riders are high school kids. Um, they tend to gravitate towards these bikes because they're fun and cool looking. And so what Super 73 has done is they've partnered with several high schools They've created um, safe bike parking areas where they're locked and secured because these are expensive bikes, mm -hmm. you know, 2000 3000 up to almost $4,000. And one of the requirements for being able to park your bike in these secured areas is that you have to complete a, a safety course that they've developed. So it covers you know, safety both with the e-bike and with riding, rules of the road, that sort of thing. And so they're trying to, for one, meet a lot of these younger riders where they are, which Let's be honest, it's a lot of the teenagers and, you know, the, the high school kids that are, are part of the issue with this um, somewhat more reckless riding. And they're trying to incentivize them to uh, take these safety programs, these educational uh, materials and use them. Uh, another thing is that when they have these group rides, and I've been on a couple of these, they always start the group ride with a safety briefing. They let people know not only like what the route is, and it's always on you know places you're allowed to ride, but also sort of what the rules are, how you're going to stay together. And they keep a Super 73 staff member at the front and the rear to sort of watch the group, keep everyone um, together, and uh, also make sure everyone's basically sort of following the rules. Anyone who 
who is uh, <coughs> riding recklessly enough to be endangering people are often sort of encouraged not to come back. And so it's, it's a bit self-policing that way. So, you know, in this sort of a, a summary of everything we talked about is that definitely the, this is a younger uh, audience that skews towards this bike company, but it seems like Super 73 is taking several proactive steps to try and focus on safety and educate that, that younger ridership. Um, how effective is that? It seems like it's a new program and it's, it's a bit hard to tell, but um, perhaps over time we'll, uh, we'll see whether or not we, we see any improvement here. Um, uh, a big part of this is just you've got a lot of these younger riders and, and sometimes it's hard to convince them to, to ride a little more responsibly. I don't know. I mean, Seth, you've got young kids. I mean, how do you, how do you deal with uh, electric bikes that are desirable by teenagers, but still instilling like proper riding responsibility? Um, I, I took my son to his high school a few times and rode with him and made sure he was doing all the right things, with the turn signals and, um, you know, kind of uh, allowing cars to pass, things like that. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of that, uh, commenter a few weeks ago who mentioned the Dutch who have a high school class devoted to e-bikes. I wonder if that's another, this is another issue that could be addressed like by actual in-school curriculum. And I think it's even earlier. I think it's like almost school. elementary school where they, I don't think it was e-bike specific. I think it was like cycling. Right. It's like all of the like, you know, learning how to go on the road, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course there's always, uh, policing and the fear of policing and maybe you know the cops need to step in a little bit and say you know not not like i'm taking your bike and you're you're screwed more like hey you're endangering yourself and people around you by doing this certain thing and you know give you a warning give them a little scare i don't know um this is another example of like uh you know users being able to kind of police themselves, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I see often, um, especially like in the comment section, a lot of people sort of accuse me of turning a blind eye to some of the, um, you know, more reckless riding out there in my um, pursuit of e-bike evangelism. But I mean, personally, I think that as much as e-bikes should be out there, we should also be punishing people who aren't using them responsibly and are endangering people. So I'm in favor of, you know, punishments, fines. If someone's repeatedly offending, then I mean, lock up their bike. Like we got to be safe out there. I think everyone should have an e-bike and use it, but also there's no one that should be endangered by someone using an e-bike. Yeah. And as far as super 73 is concerned, I think this is great for their brand, you know, and no such thing as bad publicity kind of thing. <laughs> um, I think, you know, people here like, Oh, those super 73 drivers are so bad. And, you know, probably, they sell a bunch of bikes that way. So um, they, they probably aren't going to be too upset unless there's some sort of legislation that comes down on them. Obviously, we saw the uh, college thing earlier. So uh, I guess it's not all good. Let's move on. Uh, Specialized launches 28-mile-per-hour globe-haul LT electric cargo bike with throttle. So if anyone's not familiar, uh, Globe is sort of the, the entry-level... Um, e-bike brand that was created by Specialized, though I'm not even sure I'd call it entry level for, compared to most of Specialized bikes it is, but these are still very nice bikes. Uh, but it allows them to operate in more of a direct-to-consumer market and to create something that's going to compete better against like the Rad Runners and those types of more budget-friendly bikes. Uh, we first saw the Globe Hall ST, which was very similar to a Rad Runner in a way. It was like a very short cargo bike. But now we've just seen the launch of the Globe Hall LT, which is the 
uh, long tail cargo bike. So I guess if, if we're sticking to the rad analogy, it's basically the rad wagon of specialized brands here. Now it's a traditional long tail e-bike. Or maybe like a turn uh, GSD. Yeah, I think it'd be longer than that even. Yeah. Um, it's that's uh, sort of like a mid tail even, I would say. I mean, turn is great about making those things compact. So this one is very much like a, a long tail bike. Um, and it's, it's also interesting because it does include a throttle option. It doesn't come with it out of the box, but you can uh, add it as an accessory. And so, um, you know, out of the box, it comes as a class one e-bike, so up to 20 miles an hour. Um, but if you add that throttle, it becomes a class two and you can also unlock it into a class three. So you can get up to 28 miles per hour, though that's on pedal assist only, um, not with a throttle. So that's definitely going to be interesting to an American audience, which values those higher speeds. Uh, but in addition, it's got a lot of nicer parts that you won't find on a lot of the more budget-friendly bikes. You know, it's got the torque sensor, it's got the hydraulic brakes, um, it's got the nicer transmission, it's got uh, a lot of specialized components, and you also get the support and service of specialized dealers, which is worth some serious value. There are a lot of people that don't want to spend a few thousand dollars on a bike without knowing that they have somewhere to take it if they need support, if they don't know how to fix something themselves. And the nicer the bike, the more likely you're going to want someone that's a professional to be working on it for you. Um, i got to look up the price here because I don't recall it off the top of my head. Here it is, $3,500. So, you know, this is certainly not a recent Mahler $7,000, $8,000 cargo bike. But at the same time, it's not a $1,500 cargo bike. It's from Specialized, so you know it's going to be built to a higher standard. And it falls into that middle category. But it's got more performance than you'd expect from a Specialized. You know, you've got big 700 something watt hour battery, big uh, 700 watt motor, that sort of thing. So to me, it falls in that really interesting middle ground where we don't really see a lot of entries. You know, we've got a lot of $1,500, $2,000 cargo bikes. We've got some really nice six, seven, $8,000 cargo bikes. In that middle ground, it's, it's kind of really just turn, like you were saying. I, I mean, there aren't that many, um, you know, three to four and a half thousand dollar um, good cargo bikes. And so this is, is sort of punching in that middleweight class. And I finding it an, an interesting option, uh, especially coming with the backing of Specialized. What do you think of the bike, Seth? I love it. Um, I'm only kind of sad that Specialized here in Europe didn't have any uh, for us to tool around with. I'm yeah. actually kind of surprised that Specialized thought that this was more like a U.S. bike. Versus, uh, I mean, for, for me, this is like a global bike, uh, no pun intended with the name. <laughs> um, but the, it, it's just really interesting that, um, specialized and, you know, we're also seeing track and other like high quality brands getting into these 20 inch fat tire. Uh, is this 20 inch or 22 inch? Yeah, this is, this is a 20 inch. I believe they're three and a half inch. Yeah. Three and a half inch tires. So they're, okay. they're kind of that like sweet spot in the middle where they're not super fat. Right. But, uh, you know, you're definitely gonna be more comfortable on this than like a two inch tire. It's interesting to see those high end brands getting into this, uh, form factor that, um, you know, we talked about super 73 before, but like the cargo bikes were more kind of a rad thing, I think, um, early on. Um, you know, the rad wagon obviously, uh, is, I think those are going for like 1500 now or 1500 yeah, more. I think, uh, yeah, maybe like 16, 17, but yeah, I mean, still very affordable. Yeah. Especially compared to these. Um, but I can see a lot of people who would say, Hey, you know, Brad's going to ship me one, but then the support ends. I would like to have a, a bike shop that I can take these to, or I want a little bit 
more premium, um, well, significantly more premium components, um, maybe more options here. I see a lot of uh, third parties, or not third party, but um, ex accessories. Yeah. yeah. Inrad does have quite a bit of add-ons, but maybe not, you know, this big, biggest collection. Um, and, and, you know, like if perhaps you're taking your kids around, maybe you just want to spend a little bit more on making sure that, uh, you know, all the parts are as high a spec as you can. Um, so it's a, it's a, I think a really compelling offer because it's not hitting that crazy price point. Um, it is in the, I think probably toward the lower end of turn, what turn makes, what's the GSD coming in at? Yeah. I think that's closer to like 5,000 at this point. Right. So, so a little bit under turns prices. Um, and it looks kind of cool. And, you know, everybody loves to carry a bunch of uh, stuff on their bike, whether it's kids or baskets or milk cartons or crates, or it looks like trash cans here. Um, so uh, I, I love it. I, I can't wait to get our hands on one. Unfortunately, we have to go back to the U.S. to, to actually do that. Yeah, it sounds like they may bring them to Europe, but not anytime soon, it doesn't sound like. Which is kind of weird because they're Swiss R&D U.S., yeah, they've got both Swiss and U.S. Uh, headquarters, so it, it would have been nice to see it come here. But uh, I think fat tires are still making their way into Europe. Although we have seen quite a few Super 73 type bikes here. And yeah. There, we, there I go again using that as the, <laughs> the brand. All right, so let's move on. Uh, Gazelle Eclipse launched as a new comfort trekking electric bike with GPS theft tracker. I really like this one. Um, Gazelle, if you're not familiar, they're a Dutch company, but they make a lot more than just Dutch bikes. One thing that they do, though, is they often bring Dutch styling to other categories. So this, uh, it's kind of category defying, defying, but if I had to define it, I would put it in sort of the comfort trekking. So it's, it's more of a trekking bike, but they've left that Dutch geometry inspiration there. So you can see it's got a bit higher handlebars. They're also adjustable in that stem, so you can bring them up higher if you want more of an upright seating position. It's a little more uh, laid back. The pedals are a little more forward. So it's just a, a more relaxed kind of geometry here, which normally if you're on a trekking bike or a touring bike, you're, you're more pitched forward. You're more in like an aerodynamic tuck for that long distance riding. So to me, this is very interesting. And of course, when you've got an electric motor, being a little more upright doesn't cause as much of an aerodynamic penalty because you got the battery doing a lot of the work. It's not coming all out of your legs. Uh, the bike itself, though, is, is quite interesting from the spec side. It's got the uh, Performance CX motor from Bosch, so that's their highest uh, power. I think it's 85 newton meter um, of torque, so they're you know top of the line motor. It's got the uh, 750 watt hour battery, so you know the the biggest pack that Bosch makes for the longest range. Of course, that range is going to depend how you're riding. Um, and it's got a lot of nice components. The two main differences between the two models they've launched are the pedal drive trains. One has a 11-speed um, Shimano drivetrain. I think it's the XT, the Dior XT. The other is the Enviolo uh, stepless uh, CVT, continuously variable transmission. And that one's got a 380% range, so you can just you know go up and down without any number of steps in between. That one also has a carbon uh, belt drive from Gates, so that's another nice addition. I'm definitely a big fan of belt drives. Some people, you know, more traditional cyclists prefer that chain and derailleur, but I really like the, the belt drive. The other thing is that it's very Dutch to have that internally geared hub uh, as opposed to a dangling derailleur because it's just one less thing to break to get, you know, caught in a bike rack against other bikes, that sort of thing. 
Um, the other sort of Dutch influence here that I really like is they have that frame lock on the rear wheel, which I feel like is on every bike that's ever built in the Netherlands. And so it's nice that you can just lock that rear wheel if you're leaving the bike for like a second. Um, or even if you're locking it up at a bike rack and you have a much bigger bike uh, lock on it, you can still add, you know, a second lock right on that rear wheel. So someone isn't taking your rear wheel with your nice uh, Enviolo hub in it. So that's another kind of nice Dutch inspiration there. In terms of pricing, uh, it's a bit expensive. Uh, Gazelle's bikes are not cheap. It starts at 5,499 euros. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah euros. So add a, a, you know, a couple hundred when they convert that to dollars, assuming they do bring it to the US. Um, and the Shimano XT version is even more pricey. It's uh, 5,999 euros. So these are not cheap. Uh, in fact, I would say they're probably some of the most expensive bikes that Gazelle offers now, uh, but they do have some very nice components on them. And there's one other cool feature here. They include a GPS tracker, so you can always find it if it's stolen. And that price includes one free year of insurance. So if it does get stolen, the uh, insurance team works with the professional bike trackers that they um, try and locate and then get your bike returned, usually with the help of police. Uh, but if they can't get it returned, which they do in 80% of the time, but that if you're in that 20% that's unlucky and they can't get your bike back, they'll give you a new Gazelle Eclipse. So you get a free year of like full insurance that way. Plus you've got that GPS tracking. So certainly expensive, but very nice European produced e-bikes. Um, I actually visited the factory earlier this year and they are just, you know, they've got this down to like a finely oiled machine, how they build these things. So you're paying for that quality, but there definitely is quality there. Uh, what do you think of these, these two models here, Seth? I like them a lot. Uh, I've always loved Gazelle bikes. They're just, you know, top notch. Uh, obviously, the price is going to be the big uh, the question mark. You know, I, I would say, like, and I'm sure you've noticed this too, uh, riding around Munich, um, and we did get some time to ride some new Bosch uh, SX, CX? No, SX. Uh, we, rode, we rode the SX, which is a smaller road. Yeah, there's a new smaller SX uh, line that uh, was great. But I noticed a lot of really expensive bikes. And I think people here just, they, they spend on bikes like they, they, maybe they spend less on cars, but that doesn't seem true either. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, maybe they don't even have a car. And uh, so, so they use their bike like a car. They use their bike like a car and they, uh, so they throw, they throw a lot of money around. Um, and that, that mindset just isn't in the U.S. yet. Um, you know, people often ask me, hey, what's the best e-bike for me? I'll tell them some e-bike that's two or three thousand dollars, and they'll be like, "I only want to spend, you know, a thousand bucks." So um, we're not there yet, but uh, these bikes are tip top. Uh, if you're if you're getting rid of the car and going uh, with just a bike, this is a great option. Or uh, if you do have a lot of money laying around, these are really good um, all around bikes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, let's talk about uh, how you flew halfway around the world with an electric bike and it was legal somehow. Yeah. So um, the, the, the hardest part about traveling with an e-bike, which a lot of people want to do, whether they're going on vacation or you know relocating, is that the batteries generally can't be taken on passenger aircraft because they're, they're too large. So I wanted to bring an e-bike with me uh, the last time I flew back to Tel Aviv. But to do that, I had to find one that would fit within the regulations. And so I kind of cheated here because um, the one that I found has a super tiny battery. And technically, while they call it a micro e-bike, it's kind of a seated scooter because it has foot pegs instead of pedals. 
but it is still an awesome little micro bike. So I'm going to share it with all you guys. This is the Jackrabbit and it's got a 150, I believe eight watt hour battery. And the limit for taking batteries on many airlines is 160 watt hours. So this was one that I could actually fly with and it was kosher. In order to do that though, uh, I had to get a special bag that Jackrabbit conveniently will sell you. I think it's like uh, 120 bucks. But the cool thing is it's made specifically for this bike. So it's got only a little bit of uh, protective plates in it, but they go in the exact spots where they need to, to protect the bike here. And uh, the front fork on the Jackrabbit spins around, so it's very compact. So you shove it in that bag. I think I tossed an air tag in there as well to make sure I could find it just in case. And then you just check it like any other piece of luggage. Uh, some places might treat it as over, uh, oversized luggage. And it flew with me. I took this on a trip where I stopped in uh, a couple cities on the way. So it went through like five or six different airports uh, before I got back to Tel Aviv. I unpacked it. Actually was able to fit like a week's worth of dirty laundry in the bag as well, which was kind of convenient when you're running low on space and makes a little bit of extra padding. But uh, I got it home, unpacked it, um, charged up the battery, which by the way, I carried in my uh, carry-on bag. So um, you shouldn't check a lithium battery. I also discharged it all the way. You don't really need to do that, but just to be extra safe, I completely discharged the battery. Um, so popped it back in when I got home uh, and was able to ride my bike around. So it's a really cool way to travel with the bike. And that's one of the things that they built this one for. It's super lightweight. It's like 25 pounds. And uh, a lot of people take them on their boats or if they've got like uh, a small personal uh, aircraft, like a Cessna or something, they'll often bring this because it's just so small that it doesn't take up very much space. And, and this was a great chance to demonstrate finally being able to, to fly legally with an e-bike. Um, if you want to take a sort of more normal e-bike, it's a little bit more uh, problematic because of that bigger battery. There are ways to do it, but you usually have to um, ship the battery using a hazmat shipper to your destination, which um, was basically what I tried to avoid here. So it was a pretty cool way to test this out. Um, all in all, it doesn't work for too many e-bikes, but in this case, it, uh, it worked actually surprisingly well. Yeah, and I noticed the uh, battery looks a little bit like a uh, old laptop battery or something like that. So maybe that helped you get through. Did did you have any like you know security issues or? They didn't ask me anything about it. I was amazed. I was all prepared to have to like explain that it's an e-bike battery, but nothing happened. Part and of it was because I was going through American um, airports, and TSA is not the finest on the world stage for security quality. Right. But um, I, actually, I flew once uh, a few months ago, I think to Eurobike, and I had a, a power bank like for charging phones and my laptop and stuff that was like 110 watt hours. And I got stopped by German security in the airport, and they almost took it because it was over the 100 watt hour limit for um, Lufthansa or whatever I was flying. So hmm. they, they actually like really pay attention. But I think in the US, uh, they're not really looking at watt hour um, readings on these things. And, and tell me about, um, you know, I, I've contemplating taking folding bikes uh on trips with me um did you need oversized package pack uh yeah so um this one they i didn't have to declare it as a bike or anything sometimes they'll make you um pay extra if you say it's like sports equipment or something mm -hmm. i just checked it in as a bag they did put it in like the oversized like bin when they put it on the conveyor i think just to like help it go through their baggage conveyor better yeah, it's kind of a weird shape yeah, but um, fortunately, I didn't have to pay anything extra. I just said, like, this is my check bag. And yeah. what what airline did you fly? United. Oh. Yeah. All right. 
So that uh, that worked out well. Can't say it'll work well in every airline. You should always check what each one's regulation is. But for United, it worked pretty well. All right. Now we're going to talk about something a little mundane, a 68 mile per hour electric unicycle. Yeah. So the caveat here is that, um, first of all, if you ever want to ride an electric unicycle, you should gear up because these things do look a little bit dangerous. Uh, but the other thing is that while this thing is super fast, 68 miles per hour is apparently the um, like free spin or whatever they call it, speed of the motor. And when you're actually riding it due to inefficiencies, it's probably going to top out more in like the 50s or something, which is still way too fast for me. But this is however you want to slice it, a very fast electric unicycle. It's also super powerful. Uh, it's called the Adventure from InMotion. It's rated at 4,000 watts continuous but the uh, peak power is 9,000 watts. And then they, they included a third rating, which was the maximum power of 12,000 watts. So I don't, I don't know how you can have a, a power higher than the peak power, but 12 kilowatts. Um, this video is actually a slightly less powerful um, uh, electric unicycle that I tested a few months ago. But um, the one that they've just launched here is it's, kind of incredible just how much more powerful this is. They say it can climb up a 50 degree slope, which that's not uh, 50%, which would be 45 degrees, it's 50 degrees. So you're like gaining more altitude than you are making forward progress. So that's a, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's in, incredible. You'll probably lose uh, traction with the tires before you lose power. Yeah, I mean, it's, I imagine they, they've done it because InMotion is good about like getting professional riders to demonstrate just how amazing these machines are. So if they say it, I wouldn't put it past them. If you can get the traction that you can actually climb 50 degrees, but this thing is just incredible. It's got um, full suspension, or I guess, I don't know if you call it full suspension if there's just one wheel, <laughs> but it's got suspension, which is uh, kind of rare in the electric unicycle world. And it's, it's about as, as powerful as large battery, uh, as comfortable to ride as you can get when it comes to these high-performance wheels. I will say I'm, I'm certainly not an expert in this category. I know a lot about e-bikes, about e-scooters, decent amount about motorcycles, but unicycles are the one that I've spent the least amount of time on. But even the, the few electric unicycles that I've tested and ridden, I can see why the electric unicycle uh, audience is so like rabidly in favor of these machines because for so much power, speed, and utility in something the size of like a briefcase is kind of amazing. You know, you take it to a store, you just wheel it in with you. You don't have to worry about locking it. If you live in a dorm and, you know, they don't want you bringing a bike in, you can almost slip this in in like a, a backpack or something. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy how much vehicle you have in such a small uh, volume here. So while I find this stuff to be amazing, I also want to sort of say the caveat that if you do want to uh, get into electric unicycles yourself. This is probably not the one to start with just like you wouldn't, you know, like buy a crazy electric motorcycle. You should start with like a nice electric bike if you've never ridden a, a bike before. So uh, pretty amazing on the engineering side, but be careful with something this crazy is, is what I would leave it at. Yeah. And, and you're probably going to want to suit up. Yeah. Even yeah. if you are. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. When I did the, the last review, um, I was wearing just like a normal helmet and everyone was like, why aren't you wearing a full face helmet? So I appreciate that the electric unicycle community is so like gung ho about safety. Yeah. And also people like bystanders that are also like, what the heck? That, <laughs> yeah. looks, that looks incredibly unsafe. All right. Are we at our last story? Yeah, this is uh all right. Get your questions in because uh, this is our last uh, story of the day. Uh, an electric motorcycle that runs on power tool batteries. Meet Ego's new mini bike. 
This one is kind of fun for me. So we don't, I'll tell you right away, we don't know too much about this. There are not very many specs that have been released, but basically this is an upcoming product from Ego, which you might know from like electric string trimmers and um, uh, chainsaws and lawnmowers and that sort of thing. Um, but their newest product is sort of a mini motorcycle. It seems to be probably a bit smaller than like a Honda Grome. Uh, it only goes 28 miles per hour. It's what the top speed will be. We don't know anything about the power. Uh, but we do know it's going to use their 56 volt batteries. So those batteries are, um, I believe, uh, 840 watt hours for a pair. So uh, something like uh, 420 for a single battery. And of two batteries, which uh, it says that this thing is going to require two batteries, you're supposed to be able to get an 18 mile range. So those are the only numbers they've given us. But it seems pretty promising. Like if this is just something that you're getting to like screw around with on private land, that sort of thing. Um, that being able to take two of your lawnmower or your string trimmer batteries and pop them in this thing and have some fun. I mean, that sounds like a good time. Now, this is not street legal. Um, it's, it's advertised as an off-road bike. So don't think that you're going to be like taking this to school or taking this to like the grocery store or something, though I'm sure some people will. But the real kicker here is that being able to use those batteries that you already own. So just like, you know, when you buy power tools, you can often buy a tool only because you already have a few of these batteries. Probably they're going to sell this thing as like bike only, no battery, which is immediately going to make it a lot more affordable because batteries are usually the single most expensive part of a lot of these uh, products. So to me, this seems just like a really cool option to be able to use batteries you already have. Um, and yeah, it kind of reminded me of that mini bike in, in Dumb and Dumber. So I left a little little Easter egg there. But Yeah, um, I'm surprised they didn't have a uh, human being next to any one of these I mean, this could literally be like a, a three-year-old's toy, or it could be something like an adult could use, depending on uh, the scale. Um, is that the battery compartment right there? I'm not sure where batteries go. Yeah, I, I, I can't tell if maybe where like the, the fuel tank would be on a motorcycle. There's a door that lifts up there. Mm -hmm. It's it's weird. Oh, yeah. It's hot. Possibly. Well, yeah. it's certainly interesting. I know people in the ego ecosystem, I'm, for whatever reason, I'm in Greenworks, and they were teasing some uh, e-bikes, but I've been having some issues with their their products. I kind of wish I was in the ego uh, um, ecosystem. They've also come out with some like new cool stuff, like a uh, zero turn motor uh, mower that um, I think it takes four batteries, but it's, you know, a ride on mower. I, the e I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jealous of my neighbors that are on the ego ecosystem. <laughs> and this, this kind of seals the deal here. Yeah, you may have to convert. Yep, I think I, I think this might be the the kicker, and then of course, uh, you know, I have to get rid of all all my uh, mowers and stuff. <laughs> kind of kind of a problem. One of these days, we're going to start a uh, battery business that uh, uh, is universal that works for everybody. Yeah, I would love that. Oh man, don't tease me. <laughs> all right, uh, let's get to some of these comments here. Um, we had some audio issues in the beginning. Sorry about that. Uh, bike bans on college campuses are extreme overreaction as a further tax on poor people who can barely afford college to begin with. That's a great point. There's got to be some, there's going to be some people who um, can't afford a car, but need to get to school and they're not being priced out. Obviously they could get a regular bike or an acoustic bike um, and pedal that way or, you know, go up to the, Full car size, what do you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, that, that's one of the things also that was uh, was talked about, I think, in the comments, too, that like, all right, fine. So they're banning e-bikes. But remember, you can always pedal. So I think it is important to, to you know, remember e-bikes aren't the only option here. But also um, when you talk about banning something entirely, it does have a disproportionate effect on people of different income levels. And I think that uh, sometimes that sort of gets uh, either swept under the rug or, or people like to look the other way. So it's an important thing to consider who you're dis- disadvantaging in that sense. All right. Uh, Theofrius says, by increasing the price, Super 73 effectively curbed younger riders from purchasing and parents purchasing for their kids to shop around and compare prices. Uh, while I think that's probably the case, um, has Super 73 really increased their prices a lot? I mean, I know during the pandemic, the prices were high. Yeah, they. I mean, they've certainly always been higher than comparably performing bikes so you know they're they're a premium product in the sort of super 73 style <laughs> bike right. space um, the namesake yeah but um I, I think that just means that the kids riding around on them have like more affluent parents at this point i don't think it's stopping kids from riding right around. right and there's always used ones or um you know the the, the inexpensive model what's the z yeah the the z line starts at they used to be like 1400 or Yeah, something. it's under 2000 Yeah, I think it's a little more now. I feel like 17 but that's always been more affordable. Yeah, I've actually seen some uh, sales on those recently. Yeah? Yeah. All right, Extra Hero says, Oh, no, Super 73 riders seem young, cool, creative, fun, free, and rich. So, of course, people are going to like and target them. Most e-bike reviews are for 73 clones. Many Mac manufacturers seem to be leaning in. I think that's our observation as well. Yeah. Um, have you all gotten your hands on the globe hall ST or LT? It feels like an important bike. Yeah. yeah. Not yet. Um, Same vibe. yeah, that, that's absolutely on our list. So, uh, we're hoping to get, uh, one of those soon, probably the ST first. Yeah. All right. Every day, the Jackrabbit Himaway pony seems more and more appealing as a modern, didn't the pony get, uh, scrapped? Yeah. It was a, a, a trademark infringement. Thing. Yeah. yeah. That seems more and more appealing. As a modder, do you believe it's possible to have a bike that size with pedals? So there is a significant modding community for the Jackrabbit, but I'm not sure I've ever seen someone add functional pedals to it. I'm sure it could be done, but you definitely have to do some like welding on that frame, which uh, I imagine would void that warranty. Yeah, and there's other small bikes out there. Uh, I don't know if they're still being produced, but... Um... Swagtron had a couple EB1s and EB2s or whatever. Yeah, Jetson, DYU. Yeah, Jetson's the big one that I think you can find at like Walmarts and stuff. Um, and then you had a, uh, I think we talked about it last week, you had a uh, Indiegogo bike that you were... Yeah, yeah, I've got one coming. I mean, theoretically coming. <laughs> right. So yeah, Google that or um, there's, there's some other options out there. Um, we've seen tool... Battery-powered e-bikes before, do we know how the prices of these multi-purpose batteries line up with regular e-bike batteries? I mean, I think the first thing is you already have the batteries, so you don't even need to, um, you know, add that price to the to the mix. Yeah. I mean, you're not buying this, this bike because you think it's a great bike, theoretically. <laughs> um, you're buying it because you don't have to pay for the, the batteries, and theoretically it's going to cost much less than it would otherwise. Um, so what, what do you think about that? Is that... Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a great point that like, if you're starting from scratch looking for a bike, there are probably going to be better bikes out there that don't make some of these compromises. Yep. Um, 
But if you if you have those batteries because you have an Ego lawnmower, then I mean this is this is great. You know, watt watt hour per watt hour. I think these are going to cost a lot more than e-bike batteries because tool companies can simply charge more because they have slightly different shaped plastic on the outside, largely. Right. But um, yeah, I mean that's that's you hit it in a nutshell. That like you're buying this because you don't need to buy more batteries. Yeah, and you know it is kind of nice though that the the modular um, nature of these batteries, how they fit in lots of different things. It would be cool if like, uh, you know, Rad came out with a bike without batteries that had Ego. It would be kind of cool if uh, some of these bike brands were like, hey, uh, you know, we specialize in bikes um, and, you know, you guys have these batteries are already out in the ecosystem. Maybe they could kind of team up on that stuff. So one company did that like a year ago or so, uh-huh. uh, Aventon teamed up with works. That's right. Yeah. And they did something like that. I've never seen one in the wild. I mean, I assume it like came to fruition. They, you know, like launched it, but I've, I've never seen it actually anywhere. I have to hunt one of those down. Yeah. Um, we're still talking here. They are still selling the Himuwe pony on a site for less than $600, which is way cheaper. I don't know how they're getting away with it. We'll, yeah. have, we'll have to look at that. Well, I think the legislature, uh, the, um, uh, word for a lawsuit the uh litigation is ongoing so i think until things are solved maybe they're still selling it i thought they capitulated so it it's unclear i think okay they started to and then things fell apart it's very unclear what's going on okay maybe they're just getting rid of their inventory or something (laughs) all right and the price would indicate something like that all right ray living good uh last question i'm looking forward to the larger capacity tool manufacturer batteries greenworks has a five amp hour 80 volt, 72 volt battery that I use for my e-bike increase in capacity for longer range would be awesome. I think Ray, uh, probably what's going to happen is there's going to be slots for more than one battery. Uh, the tool manufacturers really don't need to have much more than that. And batteries start getting heavy, especially like if you're, you have a leaf blower and you're carrying around that much capacity, it's really not uh, a benefit. Obviously the, the, the mowers can use a, a bigger size, but they kind of make a modular so you can um, have two at a time or, or four at a time for the bigger stuff. Uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, though I am curious because he says he uses a Greenworks battery currently for his e-bike, which I'm very fascinated about how yeah. that works. So yeah. uh, maybe drop some more info on that in the comments or, or send us a mail because I would love to see a picture of that. It sounds like a custom job, I guess. That, yeah. That's piqued my interest. Yeah, I wonder maybe um, if there would be some conversion kits for the uh, DIY community. We, you know, we are, we already see tons of batteries you can buy separately, controllers, motors, but um, adapters for tool batteries might be a, uh, an, a nice new product to come out. So we'll have to take a look at that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that does it for us. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, I see the sun is going down here. So we've gone all red with our, with our lighting. Um, so I hope you guys have a great rest of the day wherever you are. And we will see you in another two weeks for the next uh, podcast.